This past weekend, I flew up to Boston, and as we boarded the plane, I took careful notice of the process, of who went first, who walked in that special aisle, who was allowed to have a carry-on bag. Airline boarding has become the epitome of a class system. Those with the most money to spend, or points, on a ticket, they get on first, in the roomy seats with the extra legroom. And it goes on and on as people walk by you till you get to economy, or general boarding, or on Southwest, the dreaded Group C, <laughs> which means middle seat and no room in the overhead bin for your bag. Flying has become such an ordeal, it makes sense that if we have money to spare, we might upgrade our travel experience by flying with more legroom or in a more comfortable seat. Why wouldn't we? And as we get used to these comforts, these conveniences, it doesn't seem like a bad thing to do so, and many of those privileges become a part of our everyday lives, part of our routine. We come to expect that things will be a certain way due to who we are or what we have or where we have come to in life. Think about all that we work towards, a home, family, education, a good job, security. These are goals that we strive to achieve. We might work years, even decades, to earn all that we have. And once we have it, we work to maintain it, protect it. And it seems wrong that anyone would try to shake things up or change the rules, especially when those rules are working in our favor. All three of our readings this week address the idea of change, of turning away from old ways and towards some new, different ways of thinking and behaving in order to achieve salvation. In Ezekiel, we are told to repent, turn away from our transgressions. And Paul writes that we should stop being selfish and conceited and instead should regard others as better than ourselves. We should look to their interests instead of to our own. And in our passage from Matthew, Jesus provides a similar message to the temple leaders. Jesus wants change. He wants to shift the status quo. In order to put our gospel reading from Matthew into context, we have to understand part of this chapter that isn't in our lectionary today, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday style. He goes directly to the most important place in town, the temple, and he disrupts the entire place. Jesus as disruptor. This is the crux of the problem, and this is why at the beginning of our passage this morning, he is being questioned by the authorities at the temple. We shouldn't be surprised that he is upsetting them. After all, Jesus was literally turning tables upside down. And this, this country preacher with his ragtag bunch of followers, he's messing with tradition. He is working, at least in the eyes of the temple officials, against the word of God. And the Pharisees ask him these trick, a sort of trick question about where he derives his authority. And Jesus there answers their question with a question of his own about whether or not John's baptism was of human or divine origin. What's interesting here is not just that Jesus confounds the temple leaders, but that he aligns himself with someone who lived his life in the margins, John the Baptist. As you may recall, John did not exactly run with the A-list crowd. 
He was a prophet, but he was a bit eccentric, and he had only recently met with a grisly end by speaking out against Herod. So when Jesus aligns himself with John the Baptist, it isn't by chance. Jesus wants to set himself apart from the elite. He is a teacher, a rabbi, but not the same type of rabbi as those who are questioning him. His whole point is to focus attention on those who have been marginalized, and he strengthens his connection to them in the next section of our reading, where Jesus tells the story about the two sons who have been called to work by their father. Jesus has another question for the temple authorities. He wants them to tell him which of the two did the will of the father. When looking at the story, let's look at the second son first, the one who says he is going to work, but who doesn't go after all. We don't know exactly why he doesn't go. Maybe he had a good reason, maybe not. But whatever his reason, this child who does not follow the will of his father, this child is someone we can relate to because any of us who have children or have been children can visualize a scenario where our child or we ourselves have said, sure, I'll take out the garbage, I'll unload the dishwasher, clean my room, you fill in the blank. We have all, at one time or another, said that we are going to do something, and then for some reason, we don't follow through. Not following through with something doesn't mean we are evil, it means we are human. But even though we might not be evil, denying the will of the Father, this is not ideal. Promising to do something and then not following through shows that we are putting our own will, our own desires, ahead of God's will. That is not the road to salvation. The other son in our parable, the first son, he refuses his father at the beginning. The father asks him to go to work, and he replies, I will not. Not the response one might hope for, but at least he is being honest. This son, again, is not following the will of the father. But then this son has a change of heart. Something, and Jesus doesn't tell us what, something shifts. Maybe he rethinks the request. Maybe he realizes the error of his ways. For some reason, he changes his mind and obeys. So initially in this parable, we have a similar result on the part of both sons. Neither one is doing the will of the father. The difference between the two is that when we say we will do something and we don't follow through, when we shift from yes to no, that takes no effort or thought. It is easy, requires nothing of us. And in fact, that type of action could lead to more of the same, more broken promises, less attention to the work that needs to be done, less respect for the person who in this lesson turns out to be God, who is asking us to do something. On the other hand, shifting our response from no to yes, that takes a change of heart. It takes a conscious decision and some type of action on our part, and it opens us up to the will of the Father. And action is the key ingredient here, but it's change of heart that is the catalyst for that action. That shift from no to yes is the key. The point that Jesus is trying to make with this story, the lesson he is trying to get across to the Pharisees is that saying yes to God means saying no to some of the things that they value in their temporal lives, positions of privilege and prestige, 
in order to follow God's will, they will have to give some things up. The sinners and tax collectors, they have accepted Jesus' invitation. They have turned from their old lives and opened their hearts to God's love. The others, however, they act as though they are saying yes, but their actions prove that they are saying no. They choose not to believe. They chose not to believe in John the Baptist, and they are choosing not to believe Jesus' word. They close their hearts in order to protect the status quo. And for that reason, Jesus informs them that truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. So where does this leave us? With whom are we more closely aligned in the parable? Are we fighting to maintain the status quo? Are we so focused on protecting what is ours that we are at the same time closing ourselves off to what Jesus is asking? Are we nodding our heads and saying, yes, Father, knowing that we won't follow through? Are we ignoring the work that God is calling us to do? I think one reason we are so entrenched in our ways, so attached to the status quo, is that we are inherently uncomfortable with change. It makes sense that we are afraid of the unknown. Perhaps it is a means of self-preservation. Some of us have a lot to lose. But those same habits and comforts Riding in first class all the time, it holds us back, prevents us from growing and changing into the faithful people that God wants us to be. How have we come to the place where we are more concerned with what we have to lose than with what Jesus came to give us? Our lives as Christians, our lives with God, need to be forward-looking. God calls us out of the confines of our past and present and into something new. In order to live into God's call, we have to be willing to leave the past behind, no matter how comfortable or familiar or profitable it might have been. And then we need to turn toward the future, complete with all of its uncertainties and questions. God calls us all in different ways. I may be an extreme case, but God's calling to me to become a priest is certainly an example of a time that I had to leave my comfortable and familiar ways behind and head off into uncharted waters. And indeed, I was at first like that one son in our parable. God called me, and I said, no, I will not go. After all, I was pretty happy with the status quo. When I traveled, even at home, I was often able to use some of those points I had earned and avoid the discomforts and inconveniences that came my way. But God's call is persistent, and I had a change of heart, and I opened myself to his call, and so far, pretty happy that I did. Jesus was asking questions in our passage today, and perhaps we might ponder another question this week. How is God calling us out of our past and present circumstances into something new? What work is he sending us to do? What will our answer be?